Hello, college football fans. Welcome to episode 109 of College Football Throwdown. I'm your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and today I'm joined, as always, by my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello, Husker fans and college football fans. All right. Hello, everybody. Uh, We are here after a week off to discuss the Nebraska games against Oklahoma and Michigan State. Uh, We're going to do another podcast here coming up that will talk about all the national big games and the implications of everything there on our next episode. But for this one, we're just going to focus straight in on our favorite Husker football team and uh, what's been happening the past two weeks. Um, I was traveling here recently, which is why we missed uh, the previous podcast. And dad, you actually just uh, got back from a trip to Michigan for this uh, most recent Michigan State Nebraska game. Yes, actually, we were we were still in Michigan, you know, for our summer foray back home in Traverse City. Uh, and then as part of our departure from the state, heading back to the motherland of Lincoln, uh, we, you know, set up the timing so that we would hit the Michigan State game on the way. And uh, had a really a great weekend, actually. Uh, um, my, uh, uh, your sisters, my daughters, uh, were both uh, joined us there in uh, Lansing and uh, East Lansing, I guess. And, uh, uh, you know, we were, uh, because we were within the state of Michigan, had a number of friends there, were invited to multiple tailgates. We just had a really good time taking in East Lansing, which was a lot of fun. And and uh, I think my, my wife kind of figured it was probably about a 65, 70% nice uh, Michigan State fans. You know, lots of uh, welcome to East Lansing, thanks for being here kind of stuff and uh, cordial offers of beverages and, and the like. But then about 30% or so of, uh, you know, derogatory types of statements as well. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you know, every 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 stadium kind of has its own balance of those kinds of things. Exactly fans, right. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the weather w- it turned out great. You know, the forecast was going to be not so great, but it turned out to be a fabulous day for football. Nice. Nice. Great. Well, for those of you who may be listening to us for the first time, we are a father-son duo here talking college football by college football fans for college football fans. And before we dive into our discussion of the Oklahoma game, I've got the beverage here to crack, as is our tradition. Yes. And I just bought these the other day, my uh, Sapporo Japanese beer again. Uh, Yes. Uh, Man, you're getting into that Japanese beer. Yeah. I, I liked it when I had it in uh, in Tokyo. What can I say? Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Okay. Is it expensive there because it's imported? Not. I mean, like compared to, say, you know, a Corona, which would also be a foreign beer. Right. Maybe sl- slightly more, but like not not much. It's not much. Not, okay. Not much to make a well, difference. Well, that's good. Yeah. Okay. Um. All right. Yeah, so for this Oklahoma game, yeah, I was uh, I was traveling to a friend's wedding, and I was able to catch most of this game from my hotel room as I was getting uh, dressed up on because I was on the wedding day, of course. You know, my buddy doing a doing a wedding on a football Saturday something something you shouldn't do, but you know what what can you do? Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so I caught most of the game live. I was texting with you a bit, but I missed the fourth quarter and caught up on that after the fact. Um, and on our previous podcast, we gave our usual predictions for how we thought the game would go. 
Um, and we were both kind of pessimistic. Uh, I predicted that Oklahoma would win 42-21, and you predicted uh, 55-17 in terms of the scores. Um so I was kind of thinking, you know, there would be quite a bit of scoring going on in the game, you know, that we would kind of hang in there uh, in the first half and then kind of fall out of it in the second half. Uh, but the score ended up being a lot closer than that. 23 to 16, uh, Oklahoma beat us uh, in a game where uh, they made a fair amount of mistakes. And, unfor- and if we, you know, were a, a clean football team, you know, that kind of had our fundamentals together, I think we could have capitalized on the most mistakes and been able to pull out a surprise upset. But of course, this is Scott Frost, Nebraska team we're talking about. So while there were flashes of brilliance in there, uh, there were also lots of false starts, stupid mistakes, special teams mistakes that cost us points. And we end up losing the game, a game that we could have won, but we made it competitive with an Oklahoma team that we were expecting to blow us out. So you have to at least consider that a moral victory in some sense. Yeah, that was a, it was the, the, the thing that came out of that game for me was a, an awareness that, okay, our, our defense is at least good here. Okay. Because in, in the previous three games, you know, we, we had, we had shown that we had the potential to be good in, in the previous games, but they were against competition that, frankly, was not going to scare anybody from an offense standpoint, um, or at least that was my perception. Um, and so Oklahoma was our first real test where I, I could confidently say Oklahoma is a team that, from an offense standpoint, is going to put up some points and has some tremendous talent. Had a you know Heisman Trophy candidate at quarterback who has been, you know, has lit it up uh, in some of his previous years and was a mature like third or fourth year starter. So so you would have expected Oklahoma to be, you know, clicking on all cylinders by this point. And so I was very concerned. They had scored what did, what was it 69 to nothing the the week before. So this is an offense that was definitely clicking in the previous week. Um so um um uh, it was just, actually 76 to nothing. <laughs> okay, 76 to nothing. There you go. <laughs> so but so, you know, this was a, at the end of it, you're looking at it and you're again, frustrated that, gee, you know, you do a little quick review here and we could have been right in this thing, but we again do the stupid things at the most inopportune times to basically re- snatch, you know, uh, victory from the jaws of defeat. Um, um, or, or I should or do, I have to say, that, <laughs> reverse of that snatch, snatch. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. defeat from the jaws of victory. Jaws of victory, yes. That's that's what our uh, mo is. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that's up on the locker room. Yeah, exactly right. Instead, instead of play like a champion, like like Notre Dame says, that's what we say. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Jesus, it, it was just frustrating. But there was there were reasons because most Nebraska fans expected uh, Oklahoma to be a loss. I think there were reasons coming out of that game. That as as a Nebraska fan base, you could look at it and say, okay, that just might be a step in the right direction, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, let's let's keep up the good work, kind of thing, right? Yep. And yep. see what happens, see what transpires. Yep. And when you look at the stats, they were all close. Uh, we had 18 first downs, they had 21. We had 384 total yards, they had 408. 
Uh, we had eight penalties, uh, but they had seven. So both teams were making some stupid mistakes. Time of possession was pretty much equal. Um, we Turnovers. Were, I th- well, right. Well, we had one interception and they didn't. So that was one area where we uh, we were yeah. definitely worse than them. Um, we weren't able to right. capitalize on a turnover opportunity. On third downs, we were six of 14 and they were six of 11. Uh, so kind of a, once again, kind of a defensive battle, you know, both offenses were struggling. I forget the stat, but it was the first time Oklahoma had been held to 23 points or less of offense in a long time. So, right. you know, oh, I know, I know we've oh, given well, I- uh Shenander, our defensive coordinator, some crap in the past, but it feels like this year he, you know, with, with the senior talent that's come back uh, from last year because of the COVID rules, um, he's really managed to build together a team that's got something going um, some nice cohesion there on that defensive uh, side of the ball. I would agree. I would agree. And I, and, and I think he began to show it that that was this, this was the game where, where he showed that a little bit, right. That, that, that the team showed that mm-hmm. uh, they are, they are a legitimate defense, right? I, I wouldn't call them great or anything, but they, no. they're, they're, they're pretty solid. No. Um, yeah, one other stat though that was lopsided in their favor is that they had five sacks and we had zero. Uh, because yep. once again, the offensive line, which we had mentioned on the previous podcast, as a uh, worry spot after our game against Buffalo, and it certainly turned out to be that way. Um, we had 95 yards of rushing, um, so we actually got most of our uh, work done on the passing game. Uh, throughout that game. But that was another game where uh, Adrian played pretty well. Um, He was 19 of 25 in terms of completions. Uh, The one interception obviously is bad. Uh, But, you know, there there have been a lot of situations this year where he's been getting pressured because his offensive line can't protect him. He's found ways to, you know, scamper out to get some positive yards or in some cases make it a big play. Big, right. Exactly. Which he did in that game. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. And that's the problem is, is that so much of our offense, including the Oklahoma game was centered almost exclusively on Adrian, right? Either he was the guy that was breaking a scramble and running for 50 or 60 yards to flip a field and put us in a position to score, or, you know, he was scrambling to buy some time and then making a throw that led to a big game. You know what I mean? It's not like, uh, we've had that many examples, although there was, I believe, one drive in that game that I would call a legitimate, you know, nice combination of run and pass plays, marching it down the field, first down, first down, first down kind of thing. Yeah. Well, uh, I if, think we, we got one of those that I was pleased right. with well, in the Oklahoma game. But if I recall, because I remember watching that, that that was a nice drive and we felt like we had some momentum and that's the one we're on the PAT it gets blocked. Right. The guy scoops yep. it up and runs it back to the other side for two points. So you are the correct. momentum we had <laughs> immediately just goes down the tube. <laughs> exactly right. And and frankly, that was a huge difference in the game. Not just because of the three point differential that that represents one minus one for us and plus two for them, but it was also the incredible emotional. I mean, you you finally had broken through and scored right because we've really struggled to score in the red zone this year. Again, that can be traced in, in large degree to an offensive line that's not getting a push, not getting it done, right? So right. Um, not surprising. Yeah, yeah. But, but, Jesus. but once again, that was a game where, you know, 
compared to, you know, those predictions we had of us getting blown out, you know, 50 to 17 or whatever. Uh, right. We were much more competitive. And so, you know, and I remember looking at my phone and thinking, oh, gosh, this game is like over. And then we, we got a touchdown there in the fourth quarter. You know, we mm-hmm. were able to kind of pin him deep. I remember they made a mis- they made a special teams mistake where like their guy grabbed a ball that was kind of yep. going out of bounds when he shouldn't have. And that gave them kind of bad field position. Um, yep. You and know, our defense held. Yep. Yep. You know, in those, yeah, short yard situations. So, you know, there, there definitely were positives to go out of that game. You know, the fact that we played better than we thought. I remember the commentators were yeah. uh, being quite complimentive of Adrian Martinez saying, oh, this is one of the best games I've seen him play in a long time, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Uh, and then going into this Michigan State game, because uh, Michigan State, uh, just in that same week we played Oklahoma, they played against Miami, a ranked Miami team, and they beat them pretty soundly. I think it was like 38-17 or something along those lines. So right. mm-hmm. if, if we had done a podcast last week, I probably would have predicted that we would have played Mich- them close but lost uh, because it seemed like they had that momentum and they had some real offensive weapons on their side. And then we get to watching the actual game and uh, our defense kind of struggled early, um, letting some big plast plays go through, but managing to, you know, kind of stiffen up in the red zone, force them to kick some field goals, things like that. Um, and then the offense, unfortunately, just like at the beginning of the Oklahoma game, having multiple false starts that just completely sets back the drive. Um and Adrian getting hurt, having to go out for a series before coming back into the game. So, you know, a lot of things were kind of going bad. And I was kind of thinking, oh, man, this could be one where it spirals fast. Um, but we managed to hang in there. Um, and then in the second half, the defense really buckles down, really has a grasp of what Oklahoma's trying to do along with their quarterback. You mean Mich- Michigan State. I'm sorry. Yes, Michigan State really getting a grasp on what Michigan State's trying to do, as well as their quarterback missing some guys. There were definitely open receivers that he just flat out missed the pass. Um, But that led to Michigan State having zero first downs in the entire second half um, and us being up by seven with like four minutes left to go in the game until we make another special teams mistake that completely flips the momentum of the game yet again. And we end up... uh, choking it in overtime because that's what we do. And uh, you were there live in person to uh, experience those emotions. So how did that uh, feel for you? It was awful. <laughs> it was God awful. Uh, but you're, you're right. You felt good, especially as that second half was unfolding. I mean, our defense was playing well. Our offense was moving the football. It seemed like our offensive line was starting to get legs under itself. You know, all of a sudden we were getting some pretty regularly some four, five, six yard runs out of our running backs. And, and, and we were making some good pass plays and it just seemed like every time we got the ball, you know, uh, it wasn't a three and out. It was, it was getting some first downs and moving the football. And so there were, there were some opportunities for us to score other than when we did score, you know, there were, there were certainly drives that could have led to scores, but each time, you know, like you said, an untimely penalty, um, we had, uh, we had, a, 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 you know, some, some um, questionable, um, you know, uh, uh, mistakes in terms of um, uh, illegal procedure, uh, lining up wrong, just, I mean, stupid stuff. And, of course, at just a horrible moment, you, you, you know, you just got two first downs in a row and then boom, 
you, you know, you're wanting to get up there and uh, try to do your fast-paced offense, and then you have an illegal motion on first and 10, right? So now you're first and 15, okay, and then they try to run the football and they stuff you, and now you're second and 15, you're way behind the sticks, and, you know, the, the, the threat dies, right? So it's just making those little uh, mistakes that they seem little, but they're not little, see? And that's where you, you talk about being a detailed team, a team that understands the discipline required to win football games. And uh, so we've had the talent to match, you know, physically and speed-wise with, with Oklahoma. It's not like Oklahoma, back to that game, it's not like they, uh, you know, ran, ran by us or anything, right? So, I mean, they had some individual players that had incredible talent, but, but we were able to hang with them. And uh, it, it wasn't a huge disparity. So our talent level on this team does not is not greatly, you know, separated by even some pretty talented teams. And and against Michigan State, frankly, I think our speed was superior. I I felt like maybe Michigan State was just a little bit of a a, a step, not a full step, but a part of a step slower. You know what I mean? Like they didn't have a lot of real speed. They had one guy with great speed who, of course, ended up running a punt back against us and winning the game. But but uh, or at least tying it at the time. But their great running back who, you know, was getting some, you know, early season Heisman talk, you know, we shut him down. And, and uh, their quarterback who had played quite efficiently uh, really struggled against us. And we got to him. Speaking of not ha- having any pressure against Oklahoma, we got to him in the, in the Michigan State game a few times. And we were definitely almost there a lot, meaning, meaning he was having to get rid of that ball because – you know, somebody was breathing down their down their neck at him. You know, yep. so there were some hurries in that. I don't know what the total numbers were, but but uh, our defensive performance in this game was the first time I felt like I was watching what I would consider black shirt type defense in quite a number of years. Okay, uh, so um, yeah, I, I mean, our secondary was really in pretty darn good shape, and then of course he helped us with a few bad passes when when there was a guy open right uh, which could have hurt us but didn't yep and so you're right they had we got three sacks on him over the course of the game and i remember i talked to you after the game about there were a couple of times i remember where um one of our guys was getting blocked by the offensive line and they did that move where they kind of managed to get off of that block at the last second and kind of dive over to get the runner's legs you know to bring him down Mm -hmm. Right, you know, there were, right. So that was n- no gain or very small gain or whatever. Right, you know, there, I saw, you know, or like when, uh, you know, they're they're throwing one of those routes, you know, to the edge of the uh, edge of the field, you know, on with like three yards to go, and one of our guys manages to run out there and stop them, you know, on to fourth short. and one, right? You know, yep. that those mm-hmm. kind of like plays that require that extra little bit of effort to like, you know, get them done quick we were doing that a lot, you know, which like yeah. you say, it's something we haven't seen from our guys uh, in a while. And so it was great to see it consistently there in that second half. Uh, I, I agree. Yep. I agree. Uh, Reimer and Nelson both had great games again. Um, yep. I picked up on that. Um, and uh, two quick questions. I thought I should ask you um, one going into the game. Did you, were you predicting that we were going to win or lose? And two, since you were there in the stadium, it certainly f- seemed like from watching on TV that the crowd was getting pretty darn loud, which contributed to some of those false starts. Would you say oh, that yeah. was the case? Well, 
Oh yeah. The, 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 again, the coach from Michigan state is really quite good. I think Tucker, um, because he understood what he needed to do. He, he had to be concerned about his team, maybe being a little complacent, you know, coming off the heels of a, of a, a, a great, uh, maybe you might even say unexpected victory against Miami. Right. Um, and so he needed to keep his team lathered and really fired up. Well, how do you do that? You do everything you can to lather up the fans and make sure you pull out all the stops for the home game, right? So create the best home environment you can. And they, they did, if you saw the game uh, from TV, you saw it was a stripe out game, right? Yep. They had white and green stripes throughout the stadium. And uh, so, and, and the student section was ex- expansive. I mean, that was a huge student turnout. I, I, I'll, I suspect that other than maybe the uh, Michigan game uh, in, in East Lansing, uh, I don't know if it's in East Lansing this year, but it would take that kind of an opponent to get that kind of a full uh, student section again this season from them. That's what would be, that would be my guess. I mean, they really showed up, and it was loud, mm-hmm. no doubt. Yep. So good, good football, college football environment definitely had an influence on our players and some of the false starts. I'm almost certain that that's true. Um, but again, shouldn't be happening to us. Not like we're not used to Big Ten stadiums at this point, right? So, so right. being loud and all that shouldn't shouldn't have been a, a, an issue. Um, um, and what but, what was your feelings going into the game on win or loss? Oh, you know, I I would have predicted nebraska to lose in a close game uh because uh you know again going into the game i had um, you know watched uh, or re-watched the michigan state uh miami game and a little bit of who was the other team they played oh northwestern uh, i watched that game and and i just felt like they were executing and and a lot more crisp than we had been right uh but that i was hopeful uh that our defense would be able to make it uh close meaning they hang around type of thing so frankly the way the score ended up being was about how i thought the score would be right so i i would have been pretty close on the on the score and i would have predicted a a, a, a victory by michigan state but i would not have expected or predicted our defense to play as well as it did and frankly for our offense to be as dominant really in the second half as it was you know in terms of being really controlling the game and then the defense just shutting them down if 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 someone had told me before the game that your defense was going to shut Michigan State out and uh, shut them completely down in the in the second half and not give them any positive yardage and that your offense was going to move the football the way it did, I would have said, well, we won by two touchdowns or maybe more, right? right. So so it's one of those things that as it as it played out, it everybody in the stadium, including the Michigan State fans that were around us, all turned and admitted we should have never won this game. You, your team was better. Right. Uh, but you you made enough mistakes that we were able to take advantage of it, and that's yep. you know this this Tucker guy he was the coach at Colorado for the last two games we played at Colorado, and what what can we say about both of those uh, experiences? Those are both Scott Frost games, both ga- teams or games where frankly we were the better team than Colorado. We had more talent than Colorado. Uh, we had at, at times as much as seventeen point lead against Colorado, and in each case we lost those games. Um, to him right mm-hmm. so yeah so um there you go this is this is a coach who understands that all he has to do he doesn't have to beat scott 
he has to let Scott beat himself and, and hang around and just be in a position to take advantage of it. And he did. Yep. And, um, uh, um you're just making me think, uh, and when it came to those penalties, um, we ended up having a uh, six for 40 yards. They had five for 44 yards. Um, so that's one thing I think to note is that a lot of the penalties that we had were those kind of short, shorter penalties, like the false starts Wait. and illegal motions. What? What, what what are you saying? Uh, six for what? Forty yards. That's how many penalty yards we had for the Michigan State game. Yep, that's what. I it's... don't believe that. I think that's a misprint. Okay, maybe uh, it's got to be higher than that. That's what it said. I, 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 but okay, all right. I, I I I you know I I would question that, but wow, if that's true, that is surprising. Maybe I, it's I will 50. say this. But, uh, uh, I will say this. You know. Uh, it seemed like there were more penalties called because there were two uh, uh, reviewed targeting penalties that ended up both being deemed not targeting. And so those are two major penalties, if you will, that ended up not happening. But they they did happen in terms of causing delay in the game, um, you know, getting the reaction from the crowd and lathering up the crowd, you know, who were who were very angry on both occasions when, you know, they didn't choose to to uh, call it targeting, um, even though I don't think either one was targeting. I thought the refs ultimately came to the right conclusion, but that just shows you another flaw in that whole system is it allows the, the you know, the home team, for example, to really get lathered up as a result of that decision process and all that time, and it, and it, and it can deflate what, what just took place, right? Right, and, yeah. Yeah, I will say, yeah, the refs, uh, my my impression of them was that they were sure were reviewing a lot of different things, um, but, yeah. they, but they were getting to the right result. Because, like, both times I, they went to targeting, when they showed the replay, I was like, no, that's not targeting. You know, it's like hitting with the shoulder. It's not the helmet-to-helmet contact. You know, right. he's an active runner. There are different rules when it's right. active. And they got to the right result, which made me very happy. Um, and I also just double-checked ESPN, and they have the same stat down there. Wow, that's um, amazing. Because, huh. well, think about it. Most of them were those kind of five-yard penalties. The one yard, I can remember right. that it wasn't was, you may remember early on in the game, we were going to three and out them, and our guy got to the quarterback and then basically suplexed the quarterback, MSU quarterback, like right in front yes. of the ref. Which, right. which, and I could see, you could see in the replay what he was doing because he was trying to strip the ball, and he actually did. The ball did pop out. But, you right. know, he was doing so much after the forward momentum had stopped and the ref was literally right there. It was like one of those boneheads. And it's a quarterback. Right. <laughs> you just got to understand when it's a quarterback. Well, then that's just and, – and, and the, the quarterback was involved in one of the targeting penalties. And, and, again, it was one of those things when you saw it, it was like, oh, he just hit him too hard. There's no targeting there. Anytime a quarterback gets hit or near a line – near a, uh, you know, the out-of-bounds sideline – uh, I mean, they they throw that flag or they review that so fast. It's not funny. It's like that guy became a runner, you know, 10 yards ago. OK, he stopped being a quarterback back there. Uh, but yet they still do it. Right. They, they just want to protect those pretty boys so much. It just drives me freaking crazy. <laughs> right. But, but my main point was going to be that um, we did clean up on the false starts and stuff, you know, 
in the, in the it, second half. Right, in the mostly. second half, you know, we, we the offensive line got much more disciplined on that. Um, and the fact that it was only for 40 yards, whereas in past games it's been much more than that, you know, with these big 15-yard automatic first down type penalties. Right. You know, I would consider it a small step that, you know, it's yes. these smaller things versus the really damaging ones. Um, no, you're right. And, 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 and if, you, if you had told any coach you're going to have 40 yards and penalties at the end of the game, he would probably say, I'll take that. Right. Not too bad because, like I said, Michigan had five penalties for 44 yards. Um, yeah. And you may remember they threw an interception right on their first drive of the game. So, you know, uh, when they, they started the game, they got the ball and they immediately threw an interception. So they were kind of off, off on the back foot uh, from the beginning from that perspective. Um, and when you look True. at the stats, they're pretty dominant in our direction. Uh, 26 oh, first yeah. downs versus 12, um, a total <laughs> of 442 yards of offense versus 254. Um, yeah. Time of possession, See, so, 38 minutes okay. versus 22. There was 231 yards of offense at halftime. So you said 254. Uh, Is that what? 254, yes. 254. So that's 23 yards that they made in the second half and those 23 yards were all were from the 25 down to the two when they kicked the field goal in overtime right so that's what i mean when i say i think it was basically at zero yards at the end of regulation right in terms of the second half yeah their overall yard gain because we sacked them a couple times and right um i know we held them to zero first downs yeah they were one of ten they were one of 10 on third downs, and the one time they went for it on fourth down, they didn't make it. Um, right. Conversely, I mean, we, that's, yeah, that's amazing. It is. It is amazing. Uh, conversely, though, on our side, we were 7 of 20 on third downs, uh, but we did make it twice on fourth down because we kind of went into that. When we were beyond midfield, we basically were like, we're going for it on fourth down as long as it's reasonable. Um, right. And, you know, because of, like you said, the fact that our offensive line was starting to kind of get into a groove with, you know, pushing them back and our, you know, run was uh, being successful. We were able to have the confidence that we could get those fourth and short situations. And I really thought that that drive where we did bring it down the field because it was a tie ball game. We brought it down. We scored. We went up 20 to 13 or whatever it was. Right. Um, yep. That's right. Yeah. And uh you know, and then we were in that position uh, where it looked like we were going to win the game because there's only a few minutes left uh, in the ball game, and we three and out them. We get the ball back, and unfortunately, we kind of p- play a little conservative, aren't able yep. to get get it our going. Um, yep, and then we have our punter come out. Uh, I don't think this was. This was the same guy that had punted it for seven yards that almost ended in a disaster at the end of the first half because we swapped punters. But turns out this guy's also bad because Scott said in the in his post-game press conference that he was supposed to kick it to the right. Instead, he kicked it to the left. So basically the complete opposite direction of where our players thought it was going to be. And as such, that left lane was completely wide open. And they he, the guy ran it back for a touchdown that tied up the ball game with like four minutes to go. And from there... Um, you know, you kind of, the writing was on the wall. I knew like, oh, we've been so terrible in these situations in the past. In fact, some people uh, gathered the stats on Twitter. So there have been uh, oh, yeah. 16 drives at the end of games where we had the chance to win or to tie the game. 
out of uh, the 37 games that Scott Frost has been here at uh, Nebraska. And of those 16 drives, we have scored twice. We have won once out of 16 times. We've done three overtimes, and they have ended with no points, no first downs, two interceptions. We have scored no points in overtime since 2013. So that just goes to show that we are such a choky. Right. We we're the opposite of clutch. We choke. <laughs> when, when when it gets into a tough situation exactly. at the end of games, we choke. That exactly. is the trend. And it, it goes back to my reference of calling it being a China doll. We're a men, we're mental midgets uh, from a emotional maturity and mental toughness standpoint, which which is just drives me crazy because that's the complete opposite of what we were when Tom Osborne was our coach. And, and even when Frank Solich was our coach, we may not have been as talented, but we were still mentally tough. Uh, and I feel like, uh, at, you know, then uh, following that. And when we started getting into the coaching carousel thing, we lost that edge and we've never gotten it back until I saw this defense this weekend and, and I thought, well, you know what? Our defense has a chance to maybe start to uh, reestablish that a little bit on the defensive side, and maybe that helps bleed over into the rest of the team. You, you know, you got to start somewhere, right? Right. So I can be, I can, I can be hopeful that that's maybe, uh, you know, a true statement. Now, um, here's a, a couple of things. You know, we, so now we're, we're sitting here. We've talked about the two, uh, the, the two games. And – I um, there's a couple of bigger picture things that I, I would like to talk about. If you're done with the specifics of of the Michigan State game, you got anything else you want to add to our convo on Michigan State? Um, I guess just the one thing I wanted to say was um, that I think uh, in an overall perspective, you know, in the early, I think after that Illinois game, I was being pretty down on Adrian being like, oh man, he looks the same as last year. He's making the same stupid mistakes, you know, keeps overthrowing guys, yada, yada, yada. And uh, some of that has still carried over and that, you know, he had a bad fumble where he was held on the ball way too long during this game. And then he threw in an interception uh, later in the game, although it may be that he yep. was still kind of banged up from that injury he took earlier on, so you have to kind of weigh that into the consideration. Uh, and he well, was, and he, and he overthrew. He overthrew a lot of. He, of, he overthrew. Of, some, how do you overthrow a six foot eight tight end? Yes, yes, we brought that up in the past. So you overthrew <laughs> some guys, and more importantly, there were guys that were open down the field, even right. in, even in the uh, in overtime. I remember. I think on that first play that we had, we had a guy open the end zone and Adrian didn't yes. see him. Um, so that yes. has all been very frustrating, but Adrian's, like we said earlier, his ability to scamper out of situations. There's a lot of plays where with a less athletic quarterback, they just would have been sacked, you know, or situations that Adrian's been able to make, you know, make something happen out of nothing or where he's thrown great balls. Like there were, I remember there were a couple in this MSU game where he was on the run. He threw a bullet, you know, between two guys and our guy caught it, you know, it was like, wow, damn, you know, or throwing to our, throwing to our tall tight ends, you know, and making good use of them in this game, you know? So like, I, I think I have seen improvement in Adrian compared to last season in a lot of areas, but it's just those few sticking points that keep kind of coming back up, you know? And, you know, some of of that's the fact that he got sacked seven times this game and his offensive line was really struggling, but you know, it's just, it's just like, it's once again, he feels like he's so close 
to being what we want him to be, but he's just not, can't quite make well, that and, last step. Well, and, 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 and you do have to recognize that, okay, you know, in, in his first year as a freshman, which everybody often references, you know, he's gotten worse rather than better. He, he probably had, well, we know he had, he had, you know, three guys at least in front of him on the offensive line that are now playing in the NFL. Okay. Back then. Uh, and, uh, but, but then he, he's had two seasons where his offensive line hasn't been very good. Okay. So, um, you, you got to recognize that even like now, I mean, one of the reasons he doesn't see those open receivers is because he's very quick to have to drop his eyes from the patterns, you know, and glance to see who's coming and going to kill him. Right. Cause yeah. he can't trust his offensive line. Well, guess what? You don't get to go through your progressions because you can't take, you know, the second that it takes to bring your eyes down, uh, uh, assess the situation uh, and make sure everybody's holding their blocks and then refocus on your receivers and go through your progressions again. You have to be able to go through your progressions with, with confidence, but then he also has to have the internal clock that says, okay, I only get three seconds back here. If, if I drop back, I should do my progressions for three seconds. And if, and if an offensive lineman has blown their block that quickly, then in three seconds I get sacked, that's on that guy. It's not on me, right? And, and I can't even be expected to make that guy miss necessarily in three seconds. Now, after three seconds, I should be aware that someone might be close, right? So it's, it's one of those deals where it, it just feels like he doesn't have the, the benefit of confidence that his offensive line can do the job. And if he did, then he'd be able to keep his eyes downfield and he'd find some of these guys, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think there's something to that. And I also think there's something to the fact that, you know, he has been able to kind of like hold on to the ball, you know, scramble in these situations, you know, make plays yeah. happen, either throwing it on the run to an open guy or running it himself, you know, and getting something going. So I think his instinct is to always kind of try that first, even in situations where, you know, somebody else might recognize immediately, this is no good. I should just throw it away, you know, move on to the next play. You know, it's kind of that thing where, you know, he feels like he needs to constantly make a play. Like I think there was one in the Michigan right. State game where he was getting sacked and he threw as he was yes. getting hit and it got to the guy and we got some positive yards out of it. But that's a situation yep. he's done in the past and it's gone terribly. <laughs> right, right. That's true. So, you know, but uh, I think now is a good time, like you said, to focus on what's coming down the line, how the rest of the season is looking and uh, what yeah. our team kind of needs to do from here with the situation of our uh, three main sides of the ball, offense, defense, and special teams, where we are at this midpoint of the season. Well, well, here's here's one thing that that I, I just need to mention, and this is a negative thing, and then we'll then we'll talk about the, the the you know the the two sides of the coin of the season and what's left. And and this first thing is it's about special teams. Okay, everybody knows because it's so it's become so public because Nebraska fans have raked got over the coals and national pundits are now ripping him for this as well is his choice not to have a special teams coordinator right yeah he made that decision every every staff has 10 official coaches that they can use and they can they can assign those coaches to any roles they want right but they're limited to their 10 well 
we choose not to use one of those 10 spots for a special teams coach. Okay. And, and yet now we find ourselves having lost three games because of special teams out of the five that we've played three. Okay. And, and um, if I'm preparing for Nebraska and I'm Northwestern, for example, which is our next opponent. And, and, you know, Northwestern is the perfect example because they have a great coach who is, is, is all about, you know, finding a way to win, not always having the best team, but finding a way to win. Guess what I w- would do? I would focus on special teams. Why? Because the other team isn't right. Where can I get an enormous advantage fairly easily by introducing things they haven't seen on film, by changing up my punting scheme, by changing up my kick, kick return, by uh, having a good fake punt or fake field goal ready to go. Because in all likelihood, if it's not already been on film, Nebraska's team won't be ready for it. Yep. You see what I mean? So it, it's, it's, a, it's a slam dunk. If I take the time to prepare my team for some of these areas or these aspects of special teams, then in all likelihood, if I need to pull the trigger on any of these things, there's a greater chance that they'll succeed because I know Scott Frost is not devoting the time and energy and, and his team has not, over the course of an entire offseason, prepared to be great in special teams. So I can, I can take advantage of that and, and win the battle. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay. You can't be that way. At, that, at, at, at Division One football, you can't be that way. And here's the deal. Scott Frost has a quarterback's coach. He has an offensive coordinator, and he is a play caller slash offensive coordinator himself. So he's devoting three positions or three coaches, excuse me, two coaches and himself, okay, to the quarterback. And he won't have a special teams coach. Right. That, to me, is a misallocation of resources. We also have a, a tight ends coach. I mean, you've got to you've got to reallocate things so that you can have a position available for a special teams coordinator. And if that means you have to say goodbye to one of your longtime assistants, you got to do that. Okay. And Scott should have figured that out after last season. I mean, special teams should have been a priority in this off season and, and we should have had the problem fixed. Right. Well, then people couldn't, bitch at him about it he said that it was a priority and i I, in the press conference i think he mentioned that he and i forget the coach's name it was like darrow or something along those lines but he said scott and him have been you know coaching the special teams guys you know the best that we know how to do you know and they just got to go out there and execute was basically what he said but I was like, well, the my result of that, think, hearing that, is that you guys don't know special teams that well. Maybe you should get an actual special teams coach to, right. to handle. Well, it. and here's the thing: we 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 have a great special teams coach, a guy who's demonstrated that as an analyst. But again, he cannot coach. Yes. Okay. Billy Bush is is on our staff as an analyst, but he should be coaching. Yes. He should be on our assistant coach. Yep. And and that's a choice Scott has made, and he's he's having to live with that now, right? Yeah. So as we approach the rest of the season, how do you how do you adjust? How yep. can you fix that you know problem? 
Well, um, frankly, so. just, and I know, you know, as a coach, you probably don't want to be thinking about like the PR side of things, but from a PR perspective, um, I think it would calm quite a few people in Husker Nation down if he made that kind of bold decision to fire a coach midway through the season, promote that analyst guy to be the special teams coach and saying, I am not letting this continue. We're, you know, fixing this now, you know, even, even, even if, you know, there's a limited amount that that guy can do, you know, in the week between the next game and so on and so forth or whatever, it would show that he recognizes the problem is willing to, you know, kind of create some disruption in order to fix it. You know, Alex, you're right. And that would, that would go a long way. And, in having some Nebraska fans who right now are very critical of him to say, you know, cause he's not showing the kind of leadership that, that one would expect. They would at least look at that and say, well, maybe Scott's finally woken up and realizes that he needs to, he needs to demand a level of performance. And when he's not seeing it, he's got to do something about it. He can't stand Pat and wait a whole year and say, well, we'll get to it next year. That's not an acceptable answer. Yeah. And so but, uh, yeah, I right. would love to see that. Well, frankly, and especially, I, I think our I think our quarterbacks coach is uh, an interesting guy. He's a personality, but nothing in our quarterback development in the four years that Scott's been here would lead me to believe that he's instrumental in our success or failure. Yeah, and I also know that we have an offensive coordinator and Scott Frost, who is a past quarterback and past offensive coordinator. So we got plenty of guys who can coach quarterbacks, even if it's Scott himself, right? So, so if you if you had to fire that guy, uh, you fire his ass, and and uh, thank you very much for your service. Thanks for being a great mentor and friend or whatever. But I need to do this because I need a special teams coach, and this is my guy, and he happens to be right here in the next room. But he can't talk to players. He can't be out there on the practice field with us you know, walking through stuff and really doing what needs to be done. Right. And I know we talked about this on an earlier podcast at the beginning of the year after the Illinois game. Um, and you had said that um, you thought that, uh, well, I guess this was before the Illinois game. You said that you thought that our new AD, Trev Alberts, um, wouldn't fire Scott this year, no matter kind of what, because that's just not the guy he is. He wants to give Scott a chance, da 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 And I kind of said, no. I think Scott's job is on the line this year if we have another, you know, four win type season. Um, and I still think that's you, the case. So if, yeah, you do. If, if, <laughs> if, if, uh, if Scott cares about this job, then he should be willing to make some big decisions because he has to realize he's on limited time at this point. Uh, uh, you know what? And I agree with you in that, you know what? I, I may have been. You know, my my perspective on making those statements was more about the type of person that Trev Albers is, uh, our new AD, rather than what I thought about Scott's, you know, success or failure. It was more about the fact that I feel like Trev is a guy that's good, that's going to want to give his coaches every opportunity to, to succeed, and uh, but uh, I I also know Trev is a disciplined guy, right? He's a focused, hardworking guy. And if he's beginning to see enough indications that Scott is maybe a little too nonchalant, a little, a little not detailed enough, you know, that sort of thing, he may have already be arriving at the conclusion that, you know what, Scott isn't going to make it here. 
he's he's not devoting himself to this job the way that the head coach at the University of Nebraska needs to be devoted. Yeah. And so maybe I do need to make this change. My fear is if he does that, he has not yet had enough time as a Division One, you know, uh, athletic director to really build the uh, the networks necessary to go out and get the next great guy. Mm-hmm. So unless he already had somebody in mind, and and maybe even some channels in place that he could pull that trigger. Um, I just feel like he would be inclined to give it a year, let the buyout diminish uh, that would happen in another year of time for Scott and his staff, and and also give Scott that additional year of opportunity to turn this thing around. Uh, because it isn't going to get easier next year. Frankly, if, if Scott does turn it around next year, that will be impressive because our, our our schedule doesn't necessarily get a whole heck of a lot easier. Oklahoma's still in a non-conference, for example, um, and we're going to lose all that defense. Right, right. So, um, yeah, the, well, the one good part of our team. Well, it was wonderful. Right. Um, I will say you may not have seen this because you were at the game, but um, at, after one of those first two series when the offensive line just kept making all those false starts, they did show a shot of – uh, Scott on the sidelines screaming at him, like get in their face, yeah. um, which I personally like to see because like, you know, what the what they were doing there was unacceptable and it's been a recurring issue. Um, so right. that was something I was actually happy to see. Um, but going to back to the that stat I gave earlier about like the 16 drives we've had with a chance to win the game, you know, how many of our losses uh, over the course of the time of Scott Frost have been seven points or less and all that sort of stuff. You know, once again, you could make an easy argument that if we had decent special teams, not great, but decent special teams, you know, we might have won, you know, more games this year and be five and oh, instead of two and three, like we are right now. Oh, oh uh, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. I, 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 you know what? I, I would say that that number is probably closer to 10 in the, in the four years, this is Scott's fourth season in the four years that Scott's been our coach up to this point. Um, I would say there are 10 games that were lost because of poor special teams play that average special teams would have led to victories for us. 10 games out of the 21 or so, you know, one score games that we've been in. Right. But my counter to that would be that, that is the exact same, well, maybe it wasn't so special teams focused, but that was basically the exact same refrain we were talking about during the Mike Riley era, and that we also were better than a lot of the teams we played, and we said, oh, like, we're the best five-win team in the country, you know, because we were, like, really close in a lot of those games that we lost, but we still lost them, and we had that similar kind of vibe of the choke factor under Riley that we do under oh, yeah. Scott. Oh. And, and early in Scott's career... The argument could have been made, oh, a lot of those – he's stuck with a lot of Riley's players. There was, right. you know, culture. players – Right. He was trying to fix the culture. There were players that weren't buying in to Scott's whole thing, you know, which is fair. Okay, whatever. But that was the early years. Now these are all Scott's guys. This is his fourth year as the coach. So he can't right. use that excuse anymore. But listen to that press conference that he gave afterwards. His basic thing was like – we're doing everything we can. We're teaching them the right things in practice. These guys just need to execute, you know, and these parts of our teams, you know, like the the team needs to basically get on the special teams guys and say, what are you doing? You know, 
get it together guys. Um, which on the one hand, I understand what he's saying. Cause a lot of it does come down to player execution in these critical moments. But at the same time, I think he needs to own up to a bit of responsibility and that these are your guys. Now something's got to be wrong with somebody on your coaching staff for it to be this disastrous. Exactly. exactly. And, and w- when you see the same kind of mistakes, in terms of concentration, not knowing what to do, not you, that that tells me you're not having enough repetition. And again, you know, gets back to some. I'm beating some dead horses here now, Alex, about not having enough live football, not not playing at live football game speed. You know, things of that nature. Where then, when our guys get into a, a real game, it seems a lot faster and harder for them. Whereas a good team would tell you practices were the hard part games were the easy part. And I, I don't think any Nebraska player is going to be saying that right now because, because it, they, it sure doesn't look like the games are easy. <laughs> right. No, no, so, it doesn't. so, so, uh, so that's a problem uh, now. Um, but okay. With all of that said, cause I know we need to wrap things up here a little bit um, is now, where do we go? We've had five games. We are now sitting at two and three. Well, the next two games are at home. One, this one this week is against Northwestern. Then we get Michigan at home, and then we and then we go on the road, and and it doesn't get easier. <laughs> you know, we yeah. play Ohio State. We play. Uh, well, we've still got to play Wisconsin and Purdue and Iowa. Um, Iowa and uh, Minnesota, although, you know, Minnesota now, they lost this past weekend, and and maybe, just maybe, we have a chance at that game, you know. Uh, and Wisconsin, although they lost uh, in a game that numbers-wise or final score looks lopsided, Wisconsin was absolutely in that game against Notre Dame until, uh, you know, the fourth quarter, and things kind of just unraveled on them in a bizarre kind of way where I think they had a couple of turnover um, you know, a, a pick and score or a scoop and score or oh, something. Yeah. And then another one that was either that or, or damn close. And so 14 points of, of that disparity were basically, you know, um, unique single play kind of events. Right. Uh, but overall, Minnesota, I mean, Wisconsin had hung with Notre Dame, you know, through that whole thing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I, I saw that as well. I believe you're right. It was two pick sixes at the end. They just scored a whole bunch in the fourth quarter, and Wisconsin kind yeah. of melted. So, but... so Wisconsin's the real deal uh, for the most part, and their defense is going to be phenomenal. It's going to be great this weekend to see them play Michigan and see how that plays out, right? Um, yes. Uh, we'll, um, we'll get a little insight from both of those teams. What I wanted to say was that I think at this point, um, I guess the, the very best I think we can realistically hope for as Nebraska fans, is that we get to a, um, I guess it would Five be, wins. yeah, it would be, well, I was going to say six. Um, if, well, okay, give me, give me those four well, wins. Well, right. Well, once again, this is the realistic best case scenario. Okay, um, give it to me. Would be six and six at this point, which would be beating Northwestern, Minnesota, Purdue, and Iowa, uh, losing to Michigan, Ohio State, and Wisconsin. Um, now I think the more realistic scenario is maybe we only win one or two of those games. Um, yes, that, that is the far more likely, uh, outcome. Yes. Um, and, and, and at least, 
I mean, I, I get it. Uh, I think Iowa is probably one of the most overrated teams in the country, but they are undefeated and they're a top 10 team. So, you know, putting them on that list is, is you know, if you believe the pundits <laughs> at all, is, is more of an outlandish list or list uh, item than Michigan, right? Mm-hmm. Who is undefeated and ranked also, but hasn't necessarily looked all that impressive in some of their games, including the one they just played. True. Um, true. Um, Rutgers uh, ran out of time. You know, they were playing some darn good football in that second half, much like us in the Michigan State game. Rutgers had control of that game in the second half. Yes. Uh, and they just ran out of time. Yes. So I, I saw uh, that. Michigan's got some issues still, too. And so, and Michigan games at home. Um, um, the Iowa games at I, home, it, too, I believe. No. Uh, well, yep. either way. But, is it, it? It's in Lincoln. It's in Lincoln. Okay. Well, and that's a possibility then. But but even so, yes, uh, you, you, we got to. I mean, Northwestern is an absolute must-win, and yes. then you know, frankly, then Michigan becomes a must-win in my opinion, because uh, if we think we're going to beat Wisconsin or you know Ohio State, that ain't happening. So, right. yeah. So, yep. So, yeah, yeah. Now, you know, like we said, that early Illinois loss that really put a real damper on the season in terms of our hopes of that uh, six wins and having the chance to go bowling. So now it's like we really need to kind of turn a corner here. And unfortunately, I feel like this Michigan State loss could be one of those losses where Scott starts to lose the team because the defense played their hearts out. And I texted you, like, I, I feel bad for our defensive players that are out there playing some of their best football, you know, they've played and yet they're still losing because the other parts of our team are just so inefficient, inefficient, you know, insufficient. Um, so I, I, I hope that Scott's able to kind of hold that together. And like he kind of said, like the team kind of, you know, gets on the guys on the special teams that are making mistakes and, you know, and that kind of peer pressure and trying to work on things as a team, you know, keeps this whole train running. Uh, but it could go the opposite way as well, I think. Yeah, oh, I, I totally agree. Well, so I just look at it now and say, okay, now, you know, the shit hits the fan, and this this game against Northwestern has to just get their absolute universal and complete focus, and they've they've got to find a way to win this game. And, in fact, I think it would be really, really helpful if they won this game in clear fashion, meaning – sound offense, sound defense, sound kicking game, and, you know, a 14-point a, a victory, right? And if they did that, then they could actually have momentum for the Michigan game, which they would need. I think if you end up in another struggle against Northwestern, you win, but it's a squeaker. I don't know. I mean, you might be excited, and that's good, and it's positive, and we, we get a third victory but that doesn't give you what you need to springboard into the Michigan game. You, you follow me? We need uh, a, a clear demonstrated step forward to be the team that people say we could be if we just clean shit up. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yep. And it's worth noting that this Northwestern team played the Michigan state team. We just played in their first game of the season and lost 38, 21. 
And then they lost to Duke uh, 30-23. So they are also 2-2 two and two right now. Well, actually, we're 2-3. and three, But they're 2-2 two and two right now. Um, they just beat uh, Ohio University, my alma mater, 35-6 uh, to six last week, which is a MAC school. Um, so, you know, we're, we're kind of going to be another test for them. It's like, okay, this team lost to Michigan State like we did, you know, but they were kind of better than Michigan State. Um, and it's at Lincoln. Um, so I agree with you. This is now, this is like a must win game, uh, for sure for Scott. It absolutely is. So it absolutely is. It's it's a minimum minimum that we've got to win it. And like I said, if we have any hope of getting to five or even six wins, and I think your, your thought on six wins would be, I would at this point be giddy with six victories. I would, I, I, I would, I would feel good about where we were, and I would say definitively that Scott's earned himself another year if he gets the six wins with yeah. this schedule. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, that's yeah. why six wins is the most optimistic possible. Yes, exactly. <laughs> possibility. Yeah, um, we're not in a good shape with that. What is your prediction on the score for the Northwestern game? Okay, uh, I'm going to say that we are going to win this game. Um, well, yes, we are going to win this game. <laughs> um, um, but I'm going to, I'm going to say something at the very end. Remind me. Um, okay. So we're going to win the game. I believe we're going to win it by 14 points. Um, and, but we are still going to have special teams problems, especially in the punting game. Um, because I believe that, uh, coach um um from northwestern um his name's escaped me right at the moment um but you know who i'm talking about doggone it anyway he is going to prepare his special teams and whether it be in the field gold units or the or the his punting unit or something they're going to expose our lack of preparation on special teams again with some kind of a trick play because he knows we're weak there he knows we're fragile and he's going to, and he knows he's probably at a disadvantage offensively and defensively. So he's going to win this game on special teams. That's his plan. Um, so um, um, I guarantee you we're going to lose the special teams battle, but I'm hopeful that we can win the other two sides of the uh, other two thirds of the game enough to win the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the final score. 35-21. Um, There's my 14 points. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I think I'm going to go a little lower scoring than you because I'm going to predict that our defense plays well again, uh, but that the offense will struggle as they have been throughout the season, uh, but that we will win. Uh, so I'll go ahead and predict that... Uh, I'll go ahead and predict that Northwestern gets uh, 14 and we get what would that be? I guess uh, twenty four. We win by ten. Okay, you know what? I like your score. That's a good, thoughtful score, Alex. Uh, my my thinking is just that uh, yes, our defense is only going to give up fourteen points, but but then we're going to give up seven points on special teams, um, and that's going to be the difference. Now, here's here's the uh, kicker in this whole deal. Okay. Having been at the game uh, at Michigan State, and I, I and I'm pretty sure that the uh, 
Minnesota coaches aren't going to be checking this this podcast out. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to tell you right now, Adrian is hurt. His shoulder, his throwing shoulder is hurt. And we're going to see that play out over the coming weeks. I think Adrian's passing performance is going to diminish uh, because he has a recurring shoulder problem, which he's had for a, a couple of years now. But it got it got re aggravated at the beginning of the Michigan State game. I I know he went into the locker room and they said it was you know probably concussion protocol or some other reason, but I believe it was his shoulder, and I believe he got a shot, and it wouldn't shock me at all if he's not even throwing the football during this week's preparation for the game. Like he won't start throwing it until Wednesday, mm-hmm. um, yep. because they're going to try to give him as much rest as possible, and I and they're they're trying to keep this quiet. When I think what they should be doing is preparing their backup quarterback to play this week, uh, Smothers, and they should just give Adrian the, the day uh, off, because um, not that uh, you're taking Northwestern lightly or anything, but if you did it that way, then at least. Um, Northwestern would be surprised when Smothers started, right? They would not have prepared for a guy that was quite that athletic. I mean, Smothers is faster than Adrian. Um, and uh, um, and we would have a very run-centric, quarterback, uh, keeper-centric kind of setup and a lots of quick, fast passes, quick decisions, things like that. And I actually think that could work out really well for us offensively with the wide receivers that we have. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, um, just low risk, quick, move it down the field, move the chains and let's get this thing going. Right. And give Adrian a week off to try to heal up that shoulder. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we're going to be living with this overthrowing six foot nine tight ends. Right. And and everybody's going to be what's wrong with Adrian. And then later in the year, it'll finally come out that he got hurt in the Michigan State game and he's been playing with basically half a shoulder. And, you know, we're planning off-season shoulder surgery or some shit like that. Right, which um, we've – I don't know if it came to sh- uh, all the way to shoulder surgery, uh, but we have done that in the past where he's been hurt and we've kept playing him because we weren't confident in the backup. Right, I know. And and and, and, and if I'm Scott Frost, way better for you to concede that, Scott, that, that Adrian needs some time, even if it's not something you can have surgery on. Obviously, that, that went into – season and if the doctors say well you know it's not going to get worse it's just one of those things that every time he gets tackled he's going to you know it's a stinger and it's going to hurt like hell and then he's going to have to let it let the pain subside and then go out there and play again right but you can only do that so many times i've i've played with a stinger and and it's just it affects your your ability to do your job. And I was never a quarterback. Right. I can't imagine doing it uh, as a quarterback. So I'm I'm just here to tell you, I believe they're trying to dis- disguise or hide that. And uh, again, Northwestern's coaches way too smart, way too good. They're going to watch this game. They're going to see Adrian's behavior. They're going to see how he's shaking his shoulder. They're going to see how when he walks, his gait, his arm isn't even moving. I'm sorry, the guy's got a shoulder problem. We need to be honest about it and deal with it. Instead, we're being ostriches and sticking our head in the sand. And that could blow up 
this whole prediction that you and I just gave if I'm right. Right. And I think I am. Yep. And Smothers did come in for a series when Adrian did have to go to the locker room in the Michigan State game and did decently well until uh, the offensive line had two false starts in a row and set the whole series back. Um, Correct. but, But, you know, I think, you know, I think we can give him a shot for sure, especially like you say, if, if we adjust the playbook to account for the fact that we know we're going to be starting him, if we plan for it ahead of time versus planning for right. Adrian to play in the game, then he gets sacked, yeah. gets hurt, and now Smothers right. is coming in with the Adrian game plan and we're in trouble. Right, and he hasn't been taking snaps with the the offensive line, and so they, you know the cadence is different, and what happens? False starts, right? You got a young offensive line. You change quarterbacks. No, 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 no. Bad idea. Go ahead and accept that Adrian's not going to be available. Give uh, Smothers all the snaps all week long. Prepare, prepare, prepare. You don't have to tell us in the public, you know, that that uh, Adrian's not going to play, and and then make it a, a game time, you know, uh, announcement uh, when when he doesn't walk out and start the game, right? Like, I mean, literally. Adrian's the starter on the PR PA announces at the beginning. And, but then Smothers is the guy that runs out there for the first play. Yep. Um, and then, and then like you say, prepare a game plan around what Smothers can do well and see if that's enough by tightening up your game, your, your offensive play calling, guess what might happen? Your execution might go up, right? And you won't be as diverse, but you'll be better at what you do. Right. Yep. What a concept. <laughs> True, but Scott does love his uh, diverse play calling, you know, and it does. Oh, I know it does throw off, you know, some of our got or our the teams we play against for sure. But uh, oh yeah, well yeah. If if Scott if Scott had more more mature talent, you know, and and I will concede every year he's either not had the wide receivers necessary to execute his offense, not had the offensive line to execute his offense, or not had the quarterback. Uh, depth that allowed him to execute his offense. I mean, there's always been deficiencies in his personnel structure that have kept him from being able to be everything that he wanted his offense to be. I totally get that. Um, right. And that's where his statement is true about in the Big Ten, you need to get old and stay old. And he's right about that. But we've never been old across the board. You know, we're, we're as old as we've been this year. And, and again, are we going to stay old? No, we're not, right? Because next year, our defense is going to be very young, and our offensive line will be old, right? Uh, our offense overall will be old next year because uh, assuming a bunch of people don't transfer and Scott's still our coach and all that, if we had stability um, then and everybody came back, we'd have a ton of returning starters on offense. Mm-hmm. So our offense would get old, but then our defense is going to be young. Yeah. So, yep. Well, that's last thing I'll say is just, that's just one of those things we've talked about in the past where sometimes you need to kind of compromise and maybe give up on the, the, the style of offense you really would want, like to run and instead adapt your offense to w- what you have available to you, you know, in terms of your players and everything. Uh, Cause that's something that other coaches at smaller schools have done and to great success, you know, and it's exactly. it's frustrating. We haven't had a coach like that in a long time. It feels like. You're right. You're right. 
Wow. Because you'll remember okay. Polini's stubbornness too on defense. <laughs> well, uh, you know, yeah. If if I if we had more time, which we don't, I would go into <laughs> the whole Polini thing and where I, I think the China Doll syndrome originates from him and went all the way through the Mike Riley era and and is still with us to this day. Yeah. Because we've never been able to get back to mental toughness since Polini ripped the the throat and, and the heart out of Nebraska football, um, <laughs> I- including his its fans. <laughs> yep, so. I guess so. All right, so we'll go ahead and wrap things up here. I hope you all out there enjoy listening to this podcast. If you did, you can reach out to us at huskerpete13 at gmail.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or review there. We always love hearing from the fans. like to read those out on the air. Uh, so thank you all for listening, and thank you for joining me today for this podcast, Dad. And until You're next welcome. time, go Big Red. Go Big Red. Go Big Red.